Welcome to the Property CEO Podcast, your inside track to the world of property, with your hosts, Ian Child and Richie Clapson. Hello and welcome to the Property CEO Podcast. My name's Ian Child and I'm here with Richie Clapson. Hello everyone. And in this episode, we're going to be taking a look at the best way of making offers and negotiations on property deals, aren't we, Richie? That's right. I'm going to be running through some of the sort of do's and don'ts when it comes down to negotiating a deal. Plus, uh, we're also going to be running through some uh, some of the options that you have to keep uh, you know, a deal alive when your best offer isn't quite good enough. Fantastic. Sounds like it would be really useful. So uh, looking forward to that. But before we get to that, what exactly have you been up to this week? Has it been a good one? Uh, Absolutely. I've been recovering from a marathon. A marathon? Yes, a marathon. What, as in a a 26 and a bit mile run? Uh, Not wishing to to cast any aspersions, but I, I think it's true to say I've seen you every day this week. And at no time did I really get the impression that you kind of just nipped out for a quick marathon. Yeah, but it well, it wasn't that sort of marathon. But you know, it was tougher than that. Okay, uh, tougher than a marathon. You're going to have to uh, put me out of my misery on this one, I'm afraid. Okay. Well, I've been recovering from our four-day masterclass. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, well, that was definitely something of a marathon. I have to say, you know, I'm not surprised that you're tired. I didn't think. It was possible for someone to talk for four days solid, but credit where credit's due, you certainly pulled it out of the bag. Yeah, I should probably explain that uh, we uh, we were giving a four-day masterclass workshop where we took a group of students through uh, you know a property development from end to end. It was like a, sort of making a fly-on-the-wall documentary as we saw the project go from being a complete wreck to, to beautiful apartments at the end. Uh, and I, Absolutely, and I should say that there were one or two disturbing revelations as well, I seem to remember. Really? I don't recall those. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the group looked quite stunned. I was watching. You know, when you decided to relay your tactics for leaving a lasting impression in business, uh, you know, when uh, you did that back in your younger years. Hey, you, you, uh, you mean the braces? Well, I mean, I think wearing braces back in the 90s was probably quite normal, but it was the, it was the Crombie overcoat and the Trilby hat that was, <laughs> I think, a bit of a shocker to most of the group, <laughs> myself included. <laughs> No, I think it all worked a treat. I mean, I looked the absolute business. So, so just to recap, one of the rules of personal branding, as we all know, is that you should be distinctive. Uh, now, some people achieve this by you know the way they speak or their mannerisms. Others can do it by the way they, I don't know, they kind of write letters and emails, or or even by like the car they drive. Uh, but for some reason, you decided to do it by wearing red braces, an overcoat and a trilby hat, and turning up everywhere late. Yeah, but what's wrong with that? <laughs> anyway, look, look, I didn't only wear uh, a, a waistcoat, hat, and braces. I also actually had a, a shirt and a suit on as well. Yeah, I mean, I had gathered you had other clothes on as well, <laughs> but, you know, oh, thanks for putting the image in my head. I, I think the thing that we all struggled to get our heads around as a group, if I'm honest, was the fact that you wore these items all the time. Yeah. You didn't take any of them off nope. when you sat down at whatever meeting it was you were attending. What's the problem with that? You know, that's how everyone always remembered me, no matter what meetings I attended. Yeah, presumably presumably they, they thought, who's that prat in the hat sitting at the end? And why doesn't he take his coat off? And come to think of it, why does he always turn up late? Didn't it, didn't it get a bit hot anyway? Well, yeah, look, you know what I say, look, no pain, no gain. I just wanted to sweat it out. And did you, did you wear the same outfit when you went on to a building site? Oh, come on, now you're being ridiculous. Of course I did. Health and safety wouldn't let me, would it? You didn't decide to invest in a 
a Trilby hard hat or a, or a high-vis Crombie. <laughs> <laughs> You're just jealous. Just because yeah. uh, you haven't got a sartorial trademark, there's no need to take the mick out of those of us that have. Well, yes, exactly right. I'm completely kicking myself for not wearing See? a Trilby. Uh, you I can are. only wonder how much more successful I would have been if I had. Yeah. In fact, I'm only disappointed that you stopped wearing it. So, um, yeah, have you have you still got this little uh, ensemble? No, 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 no. Unfortunately, my uh, my Trilby went under a JCB back in oh, 1999, I think. Really? It sounds mm. a bit uh, a bit terminal. Uh, I take it you weren't sort of wearing it at the time. No, luckily I wasn't. But uh, you know, never quite sat the same after that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you still continued to wear it. So uh, that must have must have made you look a. Well, I suppose even more memorable, as in, who's that prat in the hat who looks like he's been run over by a digger sort of way? <laughs> look, anyway, look, apart from uh, from your snide comments, I thought the masterclass was a complete success. It was, it was. I'm proud to say you did a, an absolutely stunning job. And the girls in the office were giggling for days afterwards. Really? Why? Because of the outtakes. I reckon for every minute of video, we've got about three minutes of you fluffing your lines, <laughs> clowning around or playing practical jokes on the, uh, on the interviews. Yeah, but you've got to have a bit of fun, haven't you? Well, you have. Anyway, it was all, all good. Uh, our video editor actually insisted that the, the outtakes get left in the final edit, which I think is high praise indeed. She liked them, did she? Well, she was, she was weeping when she told me. I think it was with laughter, but now you come to mention it, I can't be 100%. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry. Uh, I'll, I'll be fine. I can't wait to see them. Anyway, apart from, uh, from doing a lot of talking, I've also been doing a lot of thinking. Good Lord, that could come pretty close to multitasking. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I'll have you know that I can multitask with the best of them. Yes, I noticed that you've got the whole blinking and breathing thing nailed on now. So, uh, so <laughs> what exactly was it that you were uh, you were thinking about? Well, I've been trying to find a solution to your current car problem. Okay, uh, this is going to be interesting then, because, to be honest, I didn't know I had mm. a car problem. Well, yes, you do. You know, wow. that's the problem here. In fact, you've got one of the biggest car problems that a man can face. Well, uh, what's that? You've only got one car. Right. Well, See? we've had this conversation before, haven't we? If you remember, I suffer from this, uh, this peculiar disability that means I can only drive one car at a time. And as a result, guess what? I've only got... One no, no, car. No, 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 no. Look, you, you see the problem is that you think you're only allowed to have one car because your other half won't understand if you have a few spares lying around the place. Yes, very sad, but true. Mm. Uh, she too suffers from this same debilitating condition of, of only being able to drive one car at a time. In fact, it's what brought us together. Now, now you're just being silly now. I'm being serious. I've worked out a solution which will allow you to have... Right? As many cars as you want without your other half ever finding out. Right. Okay. Mm. Uh, rather reluctantly, I'm going to have to admit that this has piqued my curiosity a little. Uh-huh. So, um, uh, I do have to say, based on my previous experience, this is either going to be a stupidly simple idea that's, that's completely brilliant, or it will be a simply stupid idea that isn't. And I've got a strange inkling. I know which way it's going to go. But there is a chance I could be wrong. Look, do you want to hear what my idea is or don't you? Yes, yes, sorry. Yes. Do okay. go on. Do go well, on. look, you know uh, know that we work at the barn. Uh, yes, old building, lots of beams. Yep, sounds familiar. Yeah, okay. And you know that we've got all that parking space outside. I do. Okay. Right, so here's what you do. And let me tell you, this is brilliant. Even if you say so yourself. Yeah. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Basically, you buy a few other cars. You okay. know, 
whatever you fancy. Right. Okay. And then you keep all of your cars at the barn. At the barn. Okay. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and then you just drive home in whatever car you feel like each evening. You see, it's brilliant. You know, you only ever turn up in one car at your house at any one time. Hey! <laughs> yeah, I think I'm ahead of you there. Uh, well, yeah, so what's not to like? It's brilliant. Okay, I, I think I can see a tinsy-wincy uh, flaw in this master plan, if I've been ultra-picky. Go on, then. what's well, that? Well, unfortunately for your plan, my other half is neither blind nor stupid, so I think she might notice if I suddenly turn up in a different car every night. Okay, okay, look, but that's the brilliant bit. You just tell her that you've borrowed one of my cars for the evening because I wanted to drive yours. You see? Simple. Right. And uh, knowing you, would I be right in thinking that this isn't a completely selfless gesture on your part? Well, what do you mean? Well, using the same theory, presumably uh, it would also allow you to go out and buy yourself even more cars and pull the same trick with your wife. Ah, well, you see, uh, now, now you come to mention it, uh, there's nothing stopping that happening. So, uh, so why not? Come on, bring it on, I say. So let me get this straight. We both buy lots of cars. Yep. Uh, we tell our other halves that our new cars actually belong to each other. You've got it, exactly. So, oh. so when our other halves next meet up, don't you think there might be an insecurity chance that yours says to mine, oh, I see that Ian's been lending Richie all his new cars. Yeah, but look, well, we just need to make sure it doesn't come up in conversation. All right, well, good luck with that. Look, actually, it's easy. Look, before we meet up, you simply say to your other half not to mention Richie's new cars to, to my other half because I'm keeping them a secret. Then, of course, I'll say the same to mine, and uh, then we're in the clear. Told you. Totally brilliant. No, it sounds like a bad comedy strip. There's zero chance of them not finding out I mean, what am I saying anyway? My other half couldn't care less if I had a dozen cars. It's yours who's imposed a car limit now that you've got more cars than there are days in the week. Basically, you've come up with a solution to solve your problem, and I'm just a patsy. Ooh, hello, patsy. And, of course, your plan completely backfires because you've just announced it to all and sundry on the podcast, so she's bound to find out. Oh, come on, don't be silly. So what are the chances of my wife listening to our podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair point. Anyway, talking of which, I think we'd probably better get on with uh, with what we came here to talk about today, which is how to make offers and negotiations, isn't it? Okay, so let's uh, crack on. Yeah, what I want to talk about is um, yeah, putting offers in for projects, uh, you know, for potential development opportunities, uh, the sort of negotiation process, and then this sort of principle of dealing. You know, how do you do it? Put a deal around this. So that's the sort of things I wanted to, to, to ch- sort of chat around. Fantastic. Now. You know, before you uh, enter into um, any discussions uh, on an offer uh, or for a property or, or a bit of land that you want to try and development, one important thing which I'd always want to say and get this get this clear from the absolute start before you go into any negotiations, discussions or deals, whatever, is work out the absolute maximum that you can afford to pay for that site. And once you've worked that out, stick to it. Because the trouble is, uh, you know, you, you we're going to talk around negotiations and deals and you can get involved in these things, which can be uh, fairly fluid, fairly free-flowing. Sometimes you're, you're negotiating with someone face-to-face. But in the back of your mind, you always need to know this uh, this maximum value. It's a bit like going to an auction. You know, we, we talk to our students and, and they uh, one recently, you know, absolutely stuck to that, thought they'd lost an opportunity, but they didn't. They just stuck to their figure. And auctions... Auctions are, are great for trying to make you go away from this. I mean, auctioneers 
are past masters at pushing you up. You know, are okay, I'll just take a thousand or I'll just take a five hundred, and before you know it, you've got four five hundreds and you're two grand over or, or or whatever. So they're they're very good at psychologically just pushing you forward. So I think the important thing is uh, definitely any auction, set your figure and whatever you do, don't go above that. If necessary, you know, take a colleague. Take a colleague or a friend or, or, or a partner who can sit there and give you a severe kick if you decide to go <laughs> over your number and bring you back to reality to get your head, you know, being in control and not your heart. And, of course, you make your money generally when you buy. So if you're running away with it at the start, then, uh, yeah, you're going to potentially be in serious trouble, aren't you? You do. I mean, any good developer will tell you that that is when you make your money. You make your money when you buy at the beginning, as you say. That's really, really important. So the same principle applies here in doing an offer and negotiation and trying to think of of how to put a deal together. You know, you do your deal analysis, you work out all your numbers and then say, okay, right, um, I can pay £300,000 for that development opportunity or that bit of land. That's it. Now, you're not going to go in at 300. You might be going in at, uh, let's say, right the way down to 250 but you know that you're not going to get pushed over the 300. And don't, don't get tempted, whatever happens, to get pushed beyond that. So you, as soon as you're getting tempted, to say that's your, your, your heart ruling it and not your head. You know, in the cold light of day, when you're sat down with your spreadsheet, you're doing your numbers. If 300 is your number, that's it. As I say, it could be that 300 uh, is, is the absolute, absolute maximum stretch. That's fine. So, you know, you're going to try and work on 280 or something, but know what your number is as you put it in. Now, the process of putting an offer in on a building needs to be thought about a little, in my, in my opinion, because uh, what you don't want to do is just think, OK, I've, I've viewed that building, I've been around that building, uh, I'm quite keen on it, uh, I've met the agent and I'm just going to put in a letter. I'm going to put in a letter and say, there you go, there's my offer, it's £300,000 with all your sort of conditions around that offer. And you might quickly just get a rejection or you might get a, a OK, well, you're in the queue with everyone else or whatever. For, for, for me, I think it's about relationships. Everything in this industry and in development industry is about relationships and your offer stage uh, of a project and perhaps the potential subsequent negotiation stage is all about the relationships that you have. So I would always suggest it's much, uh, it's much easier and, and, and more successful to put in a verbal offer, first okay. of all. Because you're going to get a reaction. You know, if you put a letter in or an email in, you've no idea of what the reaction is when someone receives it. Yeah. You know, are they laughing? Are they falling off their chair? Are they, uh, you know, oh my word, that's that's far more than what the vendor mm. ever expected. Yeah. You know, I've I've sort of been uh, close and friendly to a few uh, commercial agents over the years, and they've had offers in on buildings, and they've sort of gone blimey. I didn't think anyone was going to pay anywhere near the asking price, yeah. uh, but they've chanced it, and of course, someone has. Now. You know, the, the, we know that, uh, you know, the, the language, uh, you know, uh, is really important. Body language, you know, the, the verbal interaction of people, you need some element of that. So at the very least, you want to be on the phone listening. If you can, I'd always rather make an offer face-to-face. Yeah. I'd rather pop in and say to an agent, uh, year-round tomorrow, I'm just in the area. Let me just pop in. I'll have a quick chat to you about the project. Now, that is probably your best scenario because you can sit there opposite his or her desk and you can say to them, I'm interested in so-and-so high street. I'm looking at an offer probably of around £300,000. And go quiet, okay? 
so you know the minute you go quiet you're you're asking them for feedback now what a lot of people do that the mistake they keep talking so putting an offering of about three hundred thousand pounds which i'm not sure is enough but that's what no just say i'm looking at an offer of about three hundred thousand pounds and then you're going to get a reaction. Now, of course, the first thing you're going to get is you're going to get an immediate, immediate visual reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, they might fall off their chair for, for a good or a bad reason. Yeah, if they do, pick them up because, as you say, it's about building relationships. <laughs> Pop them back on their chair and see what the reason was. Was it too high or was it way, way too low? But actually, people can't hide their instant reactions to this. So the agent, even if you've got a, you know, you've got a new relationship with them and, and, and you know, they're not a good friend of yours, you've only met them a few times, most people cannot hide what their initial reaction is. That that agent will know what the minimum the vendor wants. Yeah. It's no different if you sell your house. You might say, I'm going to put my house up for you know half a million pound, and the agent says, yeah, but what's your absolute minimum? Well, my minimum is 450 for me to better move. So you know what the vendor's drivers is. Well, the agents will know that. So they'll know whether your offer is anywhere near the mark or it's completely wide of the mark. So that initial reaction of, of not looking at you, looking away, or a slight grin or whatever it is, uh, is going to be really useful. And, of course, then subsequently, after the, the slight pause that I would try and uh, introduce there, they're going to say something. And it's their first words that you want to hang on. You know, uh, are they are they stumbling? Are, are they uh, completely dismissive of it? You know, if they're very quickly coming back and saying, "I'm really sorry, you're just going to be nowhere near the mark," I've got, you, you're probably not. Uh, if if it looks like they're trying to, uh, you know, make something up or they're they're a little bit hesitant, then maybe you are in with a chance. So, okay, you've got to be you've got to get good at reading body language. I mean, this is something you can learn if you if you're not good at it. Well, let, I think you've also got to have confidence because one of the things that people hate is noiseless pauses they like they don't like empty silences and the tendency that we all have is to try and fill them fill, fill the silence because it feels yeah. uncomfortable so if you leave it hanging there and there's a silence and gradually you start feeling a bit awkward you've got to try and push through the barrier and just ignore it um, and just say i'm not i'm not budging i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say a thing so somebody has got to say something first now this isn't a, a, a kind of a, a high level negotiation that you're in here this is just basically putting forward an offer. So the odds are that you're unlikely to find, come across a complete poker face negotiator on the other side. That's <laughs> you sit there for an hour in silence, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, it's something you should practice. I, I, it's a fantastic negotiating skill. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think, you know, if listen to, once you listen to this podcast, the next person you go and see to, whether it's your partner or a friend down the pub or a colleague at work, you know, just uh, say something to them and go completely silent. And hold it as long as you can. And, uh, you know, see who fills the void. It is so fun. It's so much fun. This is a is. great personal skill yeah. that you can practice with so much fun. So um, no, that's that's the key thing is to get in front of this uh, this agent, if you can, and present your offer verbally. Now, of course, if you are unable to get in front of them, do it over the phone because, you're again, you're going to hear something in the voice. You can, do the, you can do the pause thing, the silent pause thing again because they then got to come back with something. And, again, you've got to detect what their voice is saying. But let them say something. Let them say, no, you haven't got a chance or, okay, I'll put it forward or I'm instructed not to put anything forward unless it's above X or whatever it might be. So I think that's that's really important. And of course, that way as well, you get immediate feedback, which could save yourself a lot of time. Because if you've looked mm. at this project and you said, no, I'm only going to pay £300,000, you've had a phone call with the agent and the agent very confidently, very quickly and very precisely comes back and says, 
no, I'm sorry, uh, I'm not going to put any offers forward uh, unless they're over £350,000. Well, if you, uh, you know, don't want to pay that much, you can move on. You're not wasting your time. You're not wasting the agent's time. You've realised that, you know, you, what you wanted to achieve with that development isn't going to be available for, for yeah. 300 Move on to the next project. I think another angle on this is that some people make the mistake of actually attaching any real importance to the, uh, the valuation that's placed on the, the property by the person selling it or by the agent. At the end of the day, as a developer... You're not interested in that. That number comes out of the back end is, is what you can afford to pay for it. Yeah, do you know, we, we've had a lot of students, don't we, who uh, they run an analysis and say some of our live deal workshops that we do and they, uh, they say, oh, uh, I've run the numbers but I can't get anywhere near the asking price so I'm not bothered. Well, as you say, it's just an asking price. Mm. Uh, and actually it could often be the agent said, oh, we'll give it a go at that. You have to work backwards, absolutely. And if you something's up for half a million and you think it's only worth 300000 well, with respect and professionally, put it forward yep. and prove why you think it's worth that. Don't necessarily give all the game away, but the, but there's no problem in not necessarily handing over, but taking your deal analysis, sitting down with the agent, again, this, this ability to sit down with them and say, well, let me run through why I think it's only worth 300000 Yeah, And we have seen agents say, yeah, do you know, that's what I thought, but the vendor wanted to try it for a bit, a bit more, but I think, uh, I think I'm going to put your offer forward and recommend it. Wow, you know, that, that, those big changes c- can happen. I think the other thing which is going to come out of this, and it's about building relationships, as I say, is that your agent might just give you a steer where you need to be. Yeah. And that's important. So the agent might just say, okay, well, no, they're not going to accept that, but this is where, where they want to be. Now, of course, if that's a long way off, as I say, you might just stop there and then and, and uh, agree that you don't want to move forward and not waste anyone's time. Or it might not be that far away, mm. in which case you can maybe have a look now, maybe you've got to think a bit more out the box. I'm going to come to that in a minute. You know, what if your deal uh, offer is nowhere near where it needs to be? What do you then do? Because to say, you don't just suddenly go, okay, I desperately want it. I'm going to offer another 50000 No, 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 no. You have to come back and rethink. But at least you're going to get a steer. So if you, if you were offering 300000 and the agent says, no, it's got to be at least three fifty to put forward an offer. If you can do that, I think you're in with a chance of getting it. And you believe that's the case with the agent because you have a relationship. Then you've got to move to another stage of trying to think about how this deal goes together. And and so that sort of, you know, offer uh, stage has gone in. We're now in the sort of negotiation and deal stage. Well, before you can start negotiating, you need to think about what sort of deal I can do. And property development is about doing deals. It's about being creative. Mm. And, you know, if you're in development, you're an entrepreneur. By default, you've come into a development probably. You know, you're doing this. This is not just a job that you, you turn up and you get paid. You're an entrepreneur. You've got to pull things together. You've got to create teams. You've got to create opportunities. So, you know, if, if you're nowhere uh, near where the vendor needs to be, then you've got to start thinking about the deal. Now, that, that goes down this road of I've got to think out the box. I've got to do something different or I've got to do something different to everyone else. It could be actually that everyone else has offered 350 and you'll have to offer 460, uh, sorry, 360 to get it. So how do you think out the box? Well, now, there could be things that uh, you can start being creative on. Maybe you've got to consider like an overage uh, offer. Now, an overage is, well, actually, okay, the job as it stands or the site or the existing building is only worth 300 But if I can get planning permission for my uh, really quite elaborate ideas uh, and, and actually I get the full permission I want for the 14 flats, 10 flats, 5 houses or whatever that might be, actually, I could, I could offer more. 
So you could have an overage. You could say, well, look, I'll tell you what I'd do. Uh, if, I can, if I can get 10 houses out of it, I'll pay you an extra 60000 for the site. If I only get five houses out of it, I'll pay you 25000 extra. If I only get three houses, I don't give you any extra. Yeah, so you can start to put together a deal of overage. Now, someone the other day said to me, I was, we were chatting to a, a new developer we're training, and they were there with their partner, and their partner said, oh, that sounds terribly complicated. You know, how do we structure this deal legally? And I said, we don't need to worry about that. You're the, you're the deal maker. You're the mm. person that's putting the deal together, coming up with the creative outside-the-box thinking. That's about leverage. All development, as we know, is about leverage. You then bring in, uh, you know, maybe your your lawyer, your accountant uh, to try and then put this deal together. All you've got to do is, uh, you know, you've agreed this uh, this overage clause, uh, and your then your legal team and your accountancy team have got to put that together with the vendors team, so you both totally understand it, and actually it's a fair win win yeah. deal for both parties. Now you can do other things. You can you can look at uh, exchange and delayed completion. So once you've exchanged on a property, uh, you absolutely are, are, you know, you're deemed to buy it. That's part of the requirement. But of course, until we actually complete, we don't need to borrow all the money. We might have a certain amount of money that goes down, maybe 10% goes as down deposit, yep. as a deposit, non-returnable because you've exchanged. Uh, and, and don't get fooled into thinking because you've exchanged, but you haven't put the full money across. If you pull out, you only lose the deposit. No, 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 no. They can pursue you for the full purchase price. Absolutely. So you are you know, legally binding to purchase it. But of course, you might not need to borrow the other 90% in this case until you've completed. Now, of course, as soon as you've actually borrowed that money, your funding costs kick in yeah. and that affects your deal. So if you actually had, uh, let's take the extreme, a very complex potential planning process... Now, your deal's not subject to planning. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. This is another thing. You're just saying, I'm going to have a delayed completion, and I think it's going to take me six months to get my planning. I think I'm going to go in, and I think they're going to ask for some additional reports. I think there's going to be a bit of negotiation. I'm going to have to go back in. I think it's going to take me six months. You could, in some instances, agree with a vendor that I'm going to exchange, but I'm not going to complete for six months. So they've got certainty. They know that it's going to happen. But it's going to take six months before it. But just haven't got their money. Now, you know, if you were if you were borrowing a reasonable you know amount of money, that could that could easily be two or three thousand pound a month costs. Mm. Could start to make the difference. Of course, let's say that was uh, three thousand over over six months, eighteen thousand with a few other costs. It could be you could actually say to the vendor, well, if we go down this exchange and delay completion, I'll give you an extra twenty thousand. Yeah. Which actually, mm. you're not giving them really any any more. You're just you know you're just sort of it's delaying your process. Yeah. yeah. So you know that can help you in all sorts of ways. Another thing you can look at is of course uh, option agreements subject to planning permission. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll buy this. I'll give you could be a pound, could be as low as a pound, or I'll give you five thousand pound non-returnable. Or it could be returnable. There's all different ways you can structure this. And providing I get planning permission, I will then exchange and complete. So that gives you time to go out there, invest with your architects and planning consultants and professional team to get planning permission. And on the basis, if you didn't get it, you've only lost that either non-returnable deposit and, of course, those fees. You haven't had to buy the whole building and yes. then pull back from it. And there's normally a time frame, a sort of window associated you with that. You associate a window yeah. with that. You buy a certain amount of time. So option agreements uh, can go on there. There's all sorts of other things you can do. You know, you can ring fence uh, part of the value and do a sort of, some sort of joint venture uh, with, uh, with the vendor. So you could say, okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to pay you a certain amount of money now, uh, but actually we're also then going to pay you a separate payment out of the profits at the end of the day. 
Now, you've got to be careful with these things. You've got to make sure these are structured right because there's things like non-sophisticated and sophisticated investors. You need to make sure you tick the right boxes for those, but your accountants can advise you on that. But there are ways that you can basically, you know, prolong and and delay the payment that you're going to give them for the site. So you could say, yeah, I know you want half a million for it, but I can give you 250 now and I'll give you 250 out the back end. Well, obviously, it saves you a whole load of finance costs, mm. and it just might be that you are able to structure a deal where that effectively comes below the line as far as the funders are concerned for stacking the deal up. It's a separate private agreement, which, yes, whilst you're obliged to pay them, it doesn't come into uh, the consideration for the funders. That might help you get a deal to the percentage you need um, as uh, uh, you know, a- away from this sort of requirement of purchasing the whole thing up front. Now, the other thing you can do, and I've seen this done, uh, in fact, one of our students done this recently, we looked at a deal with them, and you'll recall uh, that, that they couldn't actually pay what they wanted for the land. Mm. But what they actually done, and I think this is a point I'm going to go on to in a minute, they, they understood, they got to understand what the vendor's drivers were, and they realized actually that the development was, was part of two sites, and actually, it was just one part of the site that the vendor really wanted to sell for a set amount of money. Because if I recall, uh, it, there was uh, there was some parents and some siblings involved, and the siblings who were controlling this wanted to make sure that there was enough money coming out of the sale for their parents to be uh, rehomed. Yeah. And I think that's so critical, I mean, not just in property development, in any type of property purchase. If you can understand and get to uh, an understanding of the... Uh, what's in the mind, what's driving the sale, what what is it that the vendor actually wants, because ultimately it could be completely different to what you're thinking. In this case, there was a particular level they needed to meet, a particular obligation that they had, and and that was almost non-negotiable, and that quite often is the case. But you don't normally get to see that. You're dealing with an agent, and the agent might not even know that. But if you can have those conversations, get that dialogue going, you can actually find out something that allows you to tick those boxes and move forward with the deal. Yeah, I mean, what they did there, and I don't think the deal's totally signed up, but it, it, it looks like it's moving forward now, is they, they split it into two parcels of land. Yeah. Deal's been done on one parcel of land, which satisfies the, the parents. The siblings are then dealing with the second part of land in, in a slightly different arrangement, I think possibly under a joint venture. So, you know, the, the key here is when you're doing your, your deals, uh, you know, you, 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 you've got to be thinking about dealing in different ways and to go back with your negotiations. So you've got to think out of the box and come up and be creative. Now, one thing, is, as you say there, Ian, you've got to get to the vendor. And, and I think uh, you know, definitely do not bypass the agent because oh, no. your reputation will be shot in an instance. And there's no need to. You know, they can certainly earn their commission. But... Um, what you want to try and do is, is say to the uh, to the agent, I'd love to have a meeting with the vendor. I'd love to get to know them. Um, can you arrange arrange something to that extent? Now, quite often they will. If they won't, then you know you've got to be um, you know you've got to be a little a little inventive. Uh, maybe you turn up as some, one of the things we we teach people to do is perhaps try and turn up early to to a viewing because it could just be that the vendor's there and before the agent, the vendor lets you in and you can have a quick chat and a coffee and understand what their drivers are. So it's really important sometimes to get to the vendor, find out what it is they're after, or maybe negotiate something else. You know, it could be that the vendor hasn't even considered, maybe if you're building a block of apartments, taking as payment maybe two of the apartments at mm-hmm. the end yeah. uh, as, as long-term rentals. But of course, you could put that forward if you're able to sit down and discuss. So really important if you can to get to the vendor and, you know, when you're negotiating, I'd much rather negotiate with the vendor rather than through the agent. 
quite happy to have the agent sat alongside us so they don't feel they're being cut out. But if you can orchestrate a meeting where you can have a number of creative ideas, whether it's overage, as I said, you know, exchange and delay completion, the subject of planning options or whatever that might be, have a number of those up your sleeve, bearing in mind your maximum value you're going to pay and sit there with the vendor and say, look, we really want to do this. You really want to do this. We both get on. How can we find a way through this? And actually, you'll often find a vendor and sometimes the agent there will all be chipping in and be creative because actually everyone wants to do a deal. So that can be an absolute win-win. Now, you mentioned a little earlier joint ventures. Um, and of course, that can play a, a really critical role uh, and very helpful role in moving things forward. But there are, it's not all cut and dried, is it? You've got to be, you've got to be wary there. Oh, absolutely. I, I think really what we, uh, what we ought to just sort of finish up on here really is just be absolutely wary of rushing into a joint venture with someone that you don't know. And this happens too much. We see a lot of people we doing do. this. Yeah. What are your values? What's theirs? Are they aligned? That's the first thing. And that's very easy. You know, if, you, if you meet someone you want to do a joint venture with, you know, are you singing off the same song sheet in terms, in terms of values? And uh, quite often you'll find quite quickly you're not. You look at things in a different different light. You know, if, if, if uh, as we say, do not cut the agent out and you've got a vendor saying, well, okay, we'll just do a little side deal. That's not the sort of language, uh, well, certainly for us, that's not the sort of language I want to be starting to hear. If that's the case, they've probably got different values to me. So that's really important. The other thing I say is, um, you know, do they move in the same social circles? Because, uh, okay, we're down here on the South Coast. If I go and do a deal in Manchester, now I know quite a few people in Manchester, but it's not really my, my patch. It's not my territory. That's not where my big social circles are. So if I actually do a deal with someone in, in Manchester and, uh, you know, they, they renee on the deal, they, they, they do me over on the deal, I, I can't really af- affect them in any way. You know, I, I can't really sort of be going around to, uh, to my colleagues because I'm not that big up there and saying, oh, you know, so-and-so's just... Yeah, uh, you're too remote. Yeah, yeah, I'm far too remote. So, you know, it, it, the problem is, and it's, it's the problem, a lot of people say, yeah, but I've got a joint venture agreement. Yeah, sure. But as soon as you go legal, you've got to pull out an agreement, you've got to pull out a document, a contract where you've got to fight... The person that wins is normally the one with the deepest pockets. Yes. It's just a sad reality. That's what it is. Uh, you know, I, I don't ever want to have to pull out a document, a contract from the drawer and start fighting with it. So I need a relationship, uh, you know, that, that works. And the best way to force a, a relationship to work, if it's going a bit astray, is that you both have as much to lose in in a sort of similar social circles. So... You know, if someone was really, uh, you know, going back on an agreement that I've reached, but they were in my social circles, then you know, they don't want to lose their reputation. No. So if I'm if I'm disgruntled, and, and rightly or wrongly, but I'm disgruntled, you know, they've either got to explain why they're doing this, and then maybe I understand, or they've got to be a bit fairer and come to the table and negotiate, because otherwise, you know, you're not going to go out out of your way to 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 ridicule someone or put someone down, but actually, just you're, you're in the local area. People say, oh, how did you get on with so-and-so? Well, yeah, you know, not particularly good, thank you very much. Yeah, because I think you can both have the same ideals and the same uh, ideas in terms of how you might approach the deal. But I, I like that point about having the same amount of skin in the game, the same amount to lose, so that your both parties are absolutely focused on, on getting yeah. the thing across the line. And the skin in the game is not in the sense of the usual term of the same money in the game, which is obviously perhaps important, but it's the same social capital. Mm. And there's yeah. a term we use quite a lot that, you know, if if my reputation is ruined, uh, I'm you know, because and, and, I, I uh, you know, I go back on what I've said, 
then they're going to destroy my reputation locally just by, by people saying, what, are they, what was Richie like? So you've got that comfort, have you, if that yeah. was to happen? Yeah. So, you know, the social interaction, and as I said right at the beginning, this is all about relationships. So I think this word of warning that, you, that say you brought up there, J, you know, joint ventures, JVs, are great, but just really think carefully before you enter into one. Fantastic. Richie, superb. I think uh, a few things I take away from uh, from this episode one, one of your earlier points about sticking to your limit, I know that can be so difficult, particularly when you kind of start getting very close to a deal or indeed you find yourself in an auction room. Don't be tempted to, uh, to, to go beyond your limit. Absolutely. Second one, I like that idea about making a verbal offer first and get that immediate feedback because people can't hide um, their, their reactions. Preferably face to face. Face to face. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's so, really, and they say if they fall off the chair, definitely try and help pick them up. That goes a long way. <laughs> and the final one, yeah, very sage advice: don't rush into a joint venture. I think it, it's so often we we've come across that time and time again. In fact, I would say that most of the uh, the, the hard luck stories, the sob stories, the issues that we've encountered and heard from people through property across the years, probably the majority of them have come from a joint venture that didn't work out because uh, at the start, everybody was all in board. They all thought the project was going to be fantastic. But then as the project progresses, they realized that, yeah, they didn't have the same values. That actually, when when things got tricky, the, the, other, the other side wanted to go in a different direction or wanted to bail out or wanted to do something else. Uh, it's so easy for that to happen. It's very difficult to tick all the boxes in advance before you sign that JV. Absolutely agreement so uh, that's fantastic richie thank you so much for that i'm afraid that's all we've got time for in this episode join us again next time when we'll be giving you the inside track on yet another part of the property world in the meantime please do feel free to check out our other episodes and of course you can visit our website which is at propertyceo.co.uk but until next time it's goodbye from us both goodbye goodbye